You are listening to the LTN Book Club, a bi-weekly read-along podcast positioned at the intersection of nerd and literary culture. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club. Hello and welcome to this next episode of the LTN Book Club podcast. Uh, I'm Madeline Turnipseed and today we are talking about Witchmark by C.L. Polk. Uh, Content warnings for this book and uh, some of these things will be discussed in this episode. Uh, Depiction of PTSD, family annihilation murders, and depiction of the same. Imperialism, magical coercion, suicidal ideation, violence, uh, hand-to-hand combat, bullying, and domestic abuse. So again, some of these will be discussed in this episode. Uh, the back of the book summary for Witchmark. Uh, in an original world reminiscent of Edwardian England, in the shadow of a world war, cabals of noble families use their unique magical gifts to control the fates of nations, while one young man seeks only to live a life of his own. Magic marked Miles Singer for suffering the day he was born doomed either to be enslaved to his family's interest or to be committed to a witch's asylum. He went to war to escape his destiny and came home a different man, but he couldn't leave his past behind. The war between Eland and Lanier leaves men changed, strangers to their friends and family. But even after faking his own death and reinventing himself as a doctor at a cash-strapped veterans hospital, Miles can't hide what he truly is. When a fatally poisoned patient exposes Miles' healing gift and his witch mark, he must put his anonymity and freedom at risk to investigate his patient's murder. To find the truth, he'll need to rely on the family he despises and on the kindness of the most gorgeous man he's ever seen. This was published by Tor.com in 2018. It won the 2019 World Fantasy Award for Best Novel, was a finalist for the Nebula Award, the Locus Award, and the Lammy Award, was one of the 100 best fantasy books of all time, according to Time Magazine, one of the best books of 2018, according to NPR, Publishers Weekly, BuzzFeed, The Chicago Review, Book Page, and the Barnes & Noble Sci-Fi and Fantasy blog. Quite a thick pedigree there. Uh, Wonderful people, who am I talking to tonight? I'm Katie Tejador. I'm John Campoverde. I am Matt Williams. And I'm Lisa Eldred. Yay! We're so excited to have Lisa with us on Yay! our cast tonight. <laughs> so exciting. Uh, our mailbag for this episode. Uh, we don't have any questions or comments specifically about this book for our mailbag, uh, but we do have some stuff about Book Club and some of our past episodes. Uh, Three Maker on Discord, uh, in the LTN Discord, asks, uh, said this about our first uh, fifth season episode. I just want to say that I appreciate this episode of real raw conversation. I may have listened beyond the spoiler point, but hearing how it impacted each of you uh, has me adding it to my future to read list. Thank you for taking the time to be open with us all. Um, So glad you enjoyed it. Three maker. We really enjoyed having the conversation about that book. And if you listening, haven't Mm -hmm. read the fifth season, please do yourself a favor uh, and make that a priority. So let us know about, because we want to talk to you about it. Cause we (laughs) want to talk to you about it. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and Lark slash Library Night Rachel on Discord also said a question about the book club. If I haven't read the books, should I still listen or should I wait until I read the book? Uh, Rachel, we usually do uh, stuff like we're going to do this episode where we do an intro session that's a couple minutes that's spoiler free. That's going to talk about some of the content in the book, give you a little bit of a taste um, of what the book is like and who we think the, um, would like the book. Um, but that's really only about five minutes, maybe, of our episode <laughs> before we move into uh, the massive uh, chunk of the episode, which is usually dealing with um, the issues that the book talks about. Um, generally, these are social issues. Um, and then uh, a little bit about uh, the world building and magic and technology, whatever uh, the cool thing is about the book as well. Um, so Depends on how much you like spoilers, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think that's, you're, a, that's a good um, benchmark is like, if you're interested in the book, but you're really not sure about it and you don't mind kind of it being spoiled a little bit, I like should you should listen to the whole episode. But if you are really interested in it, just from like the introduction and what you've heard and you don't want all the things spoiled, then just stop and listen to it afterwards. Like, I think that's really a good measure of whether or not you should listen to an episode. And, and that really means like, it depends on the episode too. So like, mm -hmm. if you're really interested in the fifth season, we spoil that thing so hard. <laughs> so if, if you don't want any of the twists, then I would read it first. But like, if you're not sure about, again we did oh uh how to live safely in a sci-fi universe and you're just like I, i'm not quite sure about this book it sounds a little weird i like you may want to listen past the spoiler part just to that get one, more of a yeah, feel i would say <laughs> you probably need Absolutely. to listen past the spoiler part otherwise you're probably not going to finish the book and um, i think that I, is comment um, sorry oh, sorry um, can I add, so there's this great Flannery O'Connor essay where she promptly, like, she basically opens up the essay saying, like, hey, we're going to talk about one of my short stories. In case you haven't read this short story, here's exactly what happens. And she, like, spoils her own story. No, she was a writer in, like, the 50s. Um, so, spoil, you know, spoiler alerts weren't a thing. But um, her point in doing that is that, especially, you know, you're going to be time limited. You don't, you may or may not have time to read something again. Um, if you don't mind spoilers, like listening and actually like re hearing what people are saying about like, what is this book doing? What is it saying about culture and like how we're interacting? If you think that you're only ever going to be able to read that book once, it's actually probably going to enhance your experience of the book. So, I mean, this is all 100% contingent on you personally. I don't mind spoilers. I stopped caring about spoilers when, like, Firefly, like, when the uh, movie Serenity got spoiled for me twice, both deaths before oh. I saw it. Um, <laughs> that was when I was just like, I give up. Um, but it's just this, like, I am also a notorious back of the book reader. Like, I will read the last page. And it's odd because it actually helps me track the progress and, like, what's going on and, like, how people are moving through things. So. That's my two cents in favor of spoilers and listening to podcasts. <laughs> and I was going to say, I think Threa's comment on how um, listening to our conversation on the fifth season, which we split into two episodes, so we mm. don't spoil the entire thing in the first episode. <laughs> um, you helped her better understand 
and better feel better impacted by the book and want to read it. So that's also something too. If you get to a point where you're like, okay, I really want to read this now, mm-hmm. I can you can pause it in the middle of the spoiler zone too. Like that's definitely worth worth your time. Um, mm-hmm. So, but I'm the I'm the teacher who gave it attention to students for spoiling any game. I don't like spoils at all. I don't like spoilers. Um, so I get it, but. That was more of a, I told them, I'm going to give you detention if you despoil Endgame. He's like, bet you won't. And I was like, mm, I did. So, uh, that was more of that situation. It wasn't necessarily the spoiler itself. It was the attitude. It was the attitude, to the role. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I did give a spoiler for, I did give a detention for spoiling Endgame. So I, there you are. that's how I feel about that. Well, if you don't like spoilers and you are strapped for time, it's usually only a few minutes to listen to the first few minutes um, of our of our podcast. And then you can decide it is worth my time to try and pick up this book and read it or I'll wait until the next one. So there you go. Um, Who would read this book? Who would you recommend this book to? So I fail at this because my wife loves, loves period pieces and mysteries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't tell her to read this book. <laughs> oh, so much shame! <laughs> <laughs> and and so she read she read Madeline's post about it in the Love Thy Nerd community, and she's like, "Why didn't you tell me this book was this way?" And I was like, "I'm sorry," uh, because if you like period pieces, she does a gr- uh, they do a great job of building a pseudo Edwardian England mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you like mysteries, man, this is a great one. The, For sure. I mean. Yeah, it's a good one. I don't know if it's a great one. I would say it's a it's a bit you can it's see it coming, one. but like it's a good one. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, and so if like my wife's seen every season of uh, the Murdoch Mysteries, which if you know anything about that TV show, it's a Canadian TV show that's <laughs> set in like frontier or Ontario in Toronto, like super period piece. Like she loves it. And this is like right up her alley. And so I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you. But if, so if you like period pieces. And you like mysteries. This is a good one. I think Agatha mm-hmm. Christie. I think mm-hmm. not in that style, yeah. but that kind of era. That would be my recommendation. Also, mm-hmm. people who like different magic systems. Like it had an interesting magic system. And it didn't answer all my questions in the first book. But there's three books. So, but I, like I was hooked with the magic system. I was just like, yes, <laughs> let's, let's give the more, more. And, and it's interesting because it the world building is really, really good. And they do an excellent job fleshing it out to where it feels like an actual world rather than just kind of um, painting the brushstrokes of an outline of worlds that, some, that it sometimes happens with mysteries mm-hmm. um, where you just kind of get a vague sense of where they are, um, where the characters are. But no, they did a really good job i think with the world and making it believable with how the magic works within the world and within society Mm -hmm. absolutely Um, another thing uh polk did really well is um balancing uh like wartime political espionage Mm -hmm. uh which doesn't happen a ton in this book, but is like the underlying theme and reason behind this is kind of the crux of the mystery. Um, and so if you like uh, stuff that's about state secrets, 
uh, stuff that has to do with the security of a lot of uh, volunteer soldiers for your nation, mm. um, stuff that's uh, about uh, ferreting out corruption. Uh, this is this is an excellent story uh, mm. for that as well. Um, this is also a romance, uh, <laughs> which I wasn't yeah. expecting initially when I picked this up. Nope. Uh, okay, there's magic, and this is, uh, you know, uh, a little bit later than Sherlock Holmes is my initial thought. And then I was like, mm-hmm. oh, uh, this dude likes this other dude. Um, <laughs> I Madeline and I started reacting to one another in Discord about it. I was like, I think, is this character gay? Is this a gay romance? Is this happening? <laughs> and we were like, I think so. I'm not sure. And then it, it was, and it did. Yeah. And, we, and that's it was the great. point when I flipped the, to the back of the book and was like, oh, yep, they wind up together. Okay. Aww. <laughs> oh, we're not past the spoiler zone yet. <laughs> but that is, that is, so I looked up the uh, Romance Writers of America uh, guidelines, and in order for it to be a romance, they do have to end up together. Mm-hmm. You can't call it a romance if it's not. Yep. Uh, a happy ending. So things <laughs> well, I learned today. Uh, there was a, <laughs> I think Madeline, you shared an interview with um, CL Polk and a different author where one of the things they were talking about was um, just comparing actually romance and mystery. Like you walk mm-hmm. into it knowing that mysteries are going to be solved. You walk into it knowing that there, the characters are going to wind up together. The question is not mm-hmm. whether the question is how, and can they mm-hmm. like, keep you engaged throughout the process that said i do apologize yeah. for the spoiler oh you're fine you're fine no. uh no. that's well and that's was, the minorest of spoilers i feel like for this <laughs> yeah <book. laughs> well yeah, and you, if, i mean it's, yeah it's expected for sure what's mm-hmm. funny right. is that i i peeked it like i hadn't read very far in the in the book when i saw madeline and john's conversation and i was like Oh, well, well, I know that now. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. That was all me. I should not have looked at it if I hadn't yeah. gotten that far. I, I was like, I think we put it in spoiler tags too. So. You did. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, this is really blowing up. Like, it, it was, was one of those things where it was on my phone. Click. That's all. <laughs> it was. It was it was on my it was on my phone and I got the little notification. So I clicked on it and went, oh, whoops. <laughs> um that being said, if uh as far as romances go, all that happens is the two dudes make eyes at each other and uh, kiss occasionally. And that's that's as far as this goes. Um, if you're concerned about what you do and don't want to read. Um, if you're concerned about the fact that it's a gay romance. Um, I feel like that if you can read a straight romance, this this really doesn't isn't any more explicit than most mm-hmm. of those are. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, we read a lot of books with main characters that do a lot of things that they justify that maybe we personally don't agree with. And if I'm okay with doing that for other things, then if I have a problem with one thing in particular, I need to kind of examine myself and see why I have a problem with this thing in particular. um, When I give other things a pass. That's my personal. If you want to have a conversation about that, the LTN Discord is a wonderful place. We have a book conversation channel, and we also have a Bible conversation (laughs) channel that I find a wonderful place to have these conversations. And I will happily, happily meet you there and discuss them because it's one of the things I do. So come on down. John will give you his tag where you can at him later on. Oh, you you can also (laughs) at me on Twitter because I have no problem doing it on Twitter either. Uh, Twitter the one is calming. 
<laughs> the one other thing that I do want to mention um, about this book is if you like magic and medicine, that's a that's a combination that happens a lot, but I feel like it's still a little bit niche. And personally, as a healthcare provider, I get excited any time I get to read about uh, a magic healthcare provider. Um, I thought it was really cool. So, yay! Anything else you guys want to talk about before we enter the spoiler zone? You guys, we gave you a full like sixteen minutes of non-spoilery content. <laughs> get so excited! Spoiler zone time. So probably the biggest uh, reveal, the biggest issue uh, within this book, there's a ton, but <laughs> one of the big ones um, is the the classism that's inherent within the way the Elanders set up their magic society. If you are uh, well off, um, then you get to be, and you practice magic, you're one of the invisibles, hear that capital I, you're knighted by the queen and you serve her specifically. Um, and if you're not one of those noble magic practitioners, you're a witch. If you get discovered, Bad, uh... <laughs> you get um, <laughs> sent to an asylum uh, is what the public knows is, well, they think they can practice magic. So they get sent to an asylum. Um, we find out later that these witches are being used to funnel dead souls into electricity which is so incredibly horrifying. <laughs> yes. You know, I, it's... I, it's really funny, but like when I, when I read that and read about the system and all of that, I just had this, uh, really strong picture of, um, full metal alchemist. Like it just reminded mm. me so much of that. Like the way, like as soon as they started putting the dots on the map, I was like, it's full metal. There's going to be like some symbol. It's going to be a pentagram. And then it was like, she, and then the sister comes in and is like, it's a pentagram. And I'm like, I called it. <laughs> yes. So the way this works is the, the, of course, this is me talking about how the magic system works. Um, the, uh, what a surprise. The asylum is, are located in strategic places to form a channeling circle that is centered around the London of the society and allows them to create ether, which is their electricity. But most mages have a, most mages met witches have a negative response to ether. Like we see that happen a lot. Mm -hmm. um, whenever miles is investigating the murder and he comes into contact with anything, ether, anything, copper, basically your typical instruments for electricity, right? Your conductors, stuff like that. Things that use up electricity, the, I'm doing air quotes. Sorry. I realize we're not recording our video. They can see me, but y'all can't <laughs> electricity air quote, um, the ether. And so there is some, you're, you're given this impression that something's wrong mm -hmm. with this. There's something wrong with the, the cars that they use. Cause they run on ether. They run, there's, there's a lot of something wrong, but you don't really get the full reveal of that until the end. And it's literally the most horrifying thing. Oh, I think right. I was, I was like dead inside um, as I read it, especially the scene where uh, he puts a stop to it all. Mm. And the people like sacrifice themselves for him to do that. And I'm just like, yeah. What? Yeah. So I feel that. Well, and what is interesting is even just the languages they use to distinguish 
uh, the different types of magic users, like mages versus witches. Like, if you think about it, mages are typically associated with, uh, like, male practitioners. Mm. And witches are typically associated with female practitioners. And I thought that was really interesting because, like, and and when they first used the uh, terminology, at first I was like, is there something different with their magic or is it just male versus female? And then I've then as it kind of got further in and really made the class difference apparent, I was like, oh, well, that's saying something <laughs> just like there, there's just power in words and how you portray things. And the fact that the author specifically put mages as the title of the dominant uh, magic class and witches as the um, lower and ones that got sent to the asylum is very telling, especially since if you think about it, like mages and witches in our language have very different sets of expectations and uh, stereotypes attached to them. Like if you think mage, you think at least for me, like I think, um, like scholar, all like very refined and tends to do things like very clean and uh, by the book and studies things a lot and really looks into the um, origins of the magic and stuff. Whereas uh, witches tend to be very earthy and um, they do tend to have that kind of stereotype of insanity or at least not necessarily insanity but maybe just that they're a bit cracked like they're not quite all there they have a bit of the little bit of crazy no matter what even if there aren't full-blown crazy kind of thing like i can if i can add an image to kind of help it's the distinction between merlin and magic little mim in the sword in the stone disney sword in the stone right Mm -hmm. Um, we have Merlin, mm-hmm. he would be the archetypical male, uh, or mage, mage excuse me. Yeah. And then you have Mim, who would be more that witchy character, mm-hmm. very crazy, kind of out there. Yeah. Um, so yes, that's, that's, the, that's an excellent example. That's yes. The marvelous Mad Madam Mim. <laughs> and, and that, and like, just by a simple thing as naming them like that, like, the author automatically creates like brings into mind those stereotypes. Like um, you, when you read it, you tend to like, when you have those images already formed in your head, you kind of are automatically go, Oh, well, these are probably more official. Whereas the witches are probably more not. Um, and, and I mean, another thing is like, um, also one of the things like growing up with the Bible, like witchcraft was so like, it, it's very blasted. Whereas the Magi, um, the ones who went to see Jesus are revered. And it, it's still, it, it, even there, it has that kind of dichotomy, um, 
And so, so like it's so ingrained in our culture that I think that's why when, um, oh gosh, my mind just went blank. Amaranth. Tristan. (laughs) (laughs) When Tristan reveals that, uh, there's really nothing different between um, the mages and the witches and that it's ridiculous that Miles keeps using these different terms. You, you like the audience kind of gets that feeling of, Oh yeah, that is ridiculous. Like that's awful. Like you, you, you may not feel it as much as Miles does, but you still kind of have that feeling because the author purposely did that with the words and purposely drew on those cultural stereotypes. So I just, I just found that really interesting. And I really loved the way that they, um, that Polk kind of juxtaposed that with the Lanier, uh, Mm -hmm. or the Lanier peoples, because, you know, they come into town for the, um, peace ceremony and like their mages, witches, magic users are out front. Like they are Mm -hmm. the delegation. Like he's, he's seeing witch marks everywhere. Like, He's like, what is going on? And um, you realize like, this is, this is just part of that distinction, you know? Um, and so it's not this, it, what he knows in Eland um, because of the culture that he was raised in and he benefited from because mm-hmm. he was able to safely practice his magic with some, well, he would have been if he had decided to let his sister use him as a human magical battery, which is a whole <laughs> other conversation, um, he would be, he would have benefited from the classism for sure. And until he realizes just how awful it is. And then he, well, and he, system down. he still kind of does in that, like when he gets accused of being a witch, um, his family has already kind of preemptively stepped in for him, yeah. like oh, yeah. preemptively covered for him. He's um, able to use those connections to escape exactly uh, being tried as a witch and sent to the asylum. So. Like, and that's only because he was born, like nothing was different. Like it was only because he was born to one of the ruling families. So arguably the ruling family. <laughs> well, yeah. Yes, no, really. it, it's definitely the ruling family. I mean, he was like, yeah, talking about like my dad's. Like, he's like, man, does my dad have more stroke than the queen? I think he does. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. That yep. is true. PM. His dad's the magical PM. Yeah. So he's right. like, he really runs the show. The queen's just there. Um, yeah. Which, even so. as the character, the queen just really feels like she's just there. <laughs> well, another conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, John brought up uh, the the treatment of secondaries. Um, so within the uh, invisibles, within the magical ruling class, uh, you have storm singers, people who have the ability to uh, control weather with their mm-hmm. magic, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, and then everybody else. <laughs> and if you are everybody else, regardless of whatever you can do, you are considered a secondary and you are magically bonded with someone who can uh, call weather and uh, you essentially become um, a magical battery. They can pull on your magic power to do whatever with it. In addition to uh, have some modicum of control over your physical body (laughs) and uh, 
basically within the society uh, tell you what to do at all times. Yeah, it, you're pretty much to the, to the point where they they pick your spouse. Yeah, mm-hmm. and who you can associate with give you an allowance to live off of. You become their dependent, mm-hmm. and like in the in the very very that's a very like loose kind way of to put it. <laughs> yeah. Um, not, not, not healthy relationships at all, not at but all. I did find that it was interesting that like it, it, and I liked that it could be both male and female. Like it wasn't just a, Oh, all the guys are primaries and all the girls are secondaries. It was really a mix based on ability. And not that that like makes it any better whatsoever, but it did add an interesting layer of complexity to it. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you couldn't look down on anybody for sex. It was looking down and it just, it just shows like the arbitrariness of uh, any kind of hierarchy, like that you can really make a hierarchy out of literally anything, whether it's race, sex, Mm -hmm magical ability like it doesn't matter they're like you can make it out of anything and it you're just it's just going to be as bad it's going to be the same behaviors it's going to be the same just awful environment no matter what you're Um, basing it off of it's going to suck to be the one who's at the bottom (laughs) and that's not to say that Miles's ability isn't useful. Oh no, not at all. Like it, he heals people. Like his dad mm-hmm. even like ends up needing him to heal him to help him like survive, right? So like it is useful. Um but uh it is also like I don't know. Um, well, yeah. And that's what I mean by the fact that it's so very arbitrary. Like who defines useful in that, like, if Miles can heal people, what other kind of magical abilities do some of the other secondaries have that would completely revolutionize the way they do things? But they only seem to put emphasis on storm singers. Mm-hmm. Even uh, Miles's sister, Grace, who basically winds up being, like, she winds up being Miles's primary for, I don't know, about a third of the book or something. Um you know, she recognizes it. She walks in like she wants Smiles to voluntarily become the secondary. She says, okay, you know, you guys get the shaft. Like you have really good, helpful abilities. I want to make your life better. But even in the process of doing that, like he winds up being bound invo- more or less involuntarily, like he's coerced into it, um, not specifically by her. But, um, you know, she's trying to make the. Yeah, she's she thinks at least that she's trying to make the best out of a bad situation. But even then it's like, you know, at one point she's like, you know, miles, you're going to be married by the end of the winter um, or season. I can't remember, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of the, this isn't what you want, but this is what I need so that I can make your life better. And it's like, no, that's not really making life better for anyone. Yeah. Uh, I think at one point miles is telling Tristan about the situation and, uh, He's like, but but Grace wants to make all these changes within the magical society. And Tristan's like, so she needs you so that she can be the most powerful mage 
in your country. And Miles is like, I mean, when you say it like that. <laughs> it's also like, like who wants their sister to have that much power over their life? Like who wants any, any person yeah. to have that yeah. much power over their life? That's fair. Absolutely. But like, can you imagine the family dynamic Siblings. Yeah. of like growing up knowing that your sibling is eventually going to take control over you, like physical and literal control over your body and your energy and knowing everything like what does that do to the a relationship? Like, obviously, like, I don't know, Miles and his sister are socially conditioned to accept these things. And so it doesn't really strain their relationship. But like well, looking out. It does, though. This is a huge reason why Miles ran away from home Mm -hmm. to join the army. (laughs) Because he didn't want this to happen. He did not want to be bound at all. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. For sure. Um, Like his whole theme is But I I do get the feeling that if the, because of how they grew up, if the binding was voluntary or if it was like a shared thing instead of what he had seen, has mm-hmm. always been controlled and pretty much being someone's meat puppet that he would have been okay with being bound to her because he would, it wouldn't have been viewed as one is that you're being lashed enough to the other, but being joined with his sister compared to being lashed to her because mm-hmm. um, he was tempted. Um, and he he you know kept on telling himself no you can't you can't consider these you can't think this because he there there were pleasant thoughts being conjured in his head, um, so like there was definitely a draw and they had a special connection um, as children that you know that the that the binding potential binding could have felt good in some way so it, it's it's tough because I kind of look at it as one of you know as a I don't want to, it's not an abusive relationship yet because it hasn't happened. Um, but definitely a, a strong sense of him running from the potential of being very codependent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and some of the comforts that codependency can offer. He was definitely drawn to them, but can kept continuously fighting away from it. Well, and he was definitely running away from his abusive father, yeah, his father, mm-hmm. which is a huge part of it. Oh my goodness, <laughs> talk yeah, about him and be some. And the, you're only like, good to me if you're useful. <laughs> well, how many people have he, heard that though? I mean, I know, really though, that's yeah. that is a very real thing. Well, and just the fact that, like, it was really interesting. His like with the breakfast with his father and how he was like, oh, maybe he's changed, and. Like that desire, to, like that wanting for him to change. Like I understand that feeling, mm-hmm. and then just being slapped with, "Oh, nope, nope, he hasn't changed at all." Like it's just another facet of it. Like I was just like, also know that disappointment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, God, and well, just with the mother. Like just the fact he, he he would rather kill his own wife than let her go, that yeah. was just like, yeah, you don't have a control problem, sure. <laughs> well, and so is this when we transition into stuff like talking about family trauma and whatnot? Because this is what really like intrigued me about this book. Um, so go for it. 
for those who don't know, um, I'll put this in a more delicate way. I deal, I write resources for addiction recovery. Um, it's probably the easiest way of putting that if you want to you know You can more. say what you do, Lisa. Yeah, you can tell us where you work. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I write spam emails about pornography. Um, no, I work Yay! at a company called Covenant Eyes. Um, and we, as much as I joke about that, um, it's really our our software is about helping people break free of this addiction of pornography. Um, so I was going to be more vague about addiction recovery, but so some of the things that we found in our research research is like and like especially how I've been like really honing in on my own resource research as I've been putting forth these educational things is just kind of how early trauma in particular and how early family connections really impact you later in life. Um, there's an author, Dr. Jay Stringer. Um, he wrote a book called Unwanted. And one of the main points of research that he found is that, and so these are people with unwanted sexual addictions as adults. Um, one of his points of research is often you could point to exactly like what sorts of things they were looking for. And you could actually draw a direct line from, Oh, you're, you have this particular fetish all the way down to, Oh, that's because you suffered this particular kind of abuse. Um, you know, you're like, you're, fe- you're fetishizing, you know, slightly older women or something like that. You were abused by a slightly older woman to bring that back to this, um, in the story. Cause I feel like that was a little bit of a tangent. Um, so, one of the like one of the things that really struck me in a lot of this book and just how Miles is developed as a character is just how his early family trauma of like this dad who completely disregarded him um but held a lot of power over his life and like even into adulthood and controlled him even was pulling some like strings behind the scenes when Miles thought that everyone thought he was dead um but just how that really influenced and shaped some of his, like his relationships, um, you know, how he dealt with the experience of war, um, in a lot of ways, you know, we're kind of, in some ways we're throwing Grace's sister under the bus a little bit, but I think she was probably actually the stabilizing relationship, um, of like she had the good connection with her dad and she could actually like with their dad I should say and she could actually pass that on um but there's just been I don't know some of the interesting parallels that I just noticed were like so Miles falls in love with um an amaranthian I think is the name of their race species whatever yeah um however you want to call it basically an angel is kind of the um like these people so throughout the entire book they're basically presented as if he turns on the charm power it's basically like if tristan turns on that power like it's over like miles will basically just be instantly controlled um and it's kind of that odd like in a lot of ways he's like it's weird because he was kind of like miles's father in some ways of like absolute power but polk even calls this out in that interview that you sent over of like he was so intent on like consent meanwhile grace who actually had the good relationship with her father for the most part still picked up some of the bad influence like bad tendencies bad influences from their dad and just kind of um you know 
she's trying to make their life better. Yes. And I, you know, I'm willing to, especially with how she acts by the end of the book, I'm willing to take her at her word that she meant, you know, she does mean well. Um, she's just not quite doing it properly. Or like, she's not actually being as helpful as she thinks she is, but I don't, there's just all sorts of interesting parallels there that just shape like miles and how he interacts with these relationships and like the caution that he has in entering into like this relationship with Tristan and, you know, the hesitancies that he has with getting back in with his father. Um, it's the family trauma from all of that. Um, there's so there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Even um, one of the interesting things I was flipping through it in prepare like in preparation for this. Um, I, no, I don't have that page bookmarked. But um, one of the things that I was reminded of is a lot of these early childhood traumas, like the infants that don't have good connections with their parents. You know, they cry and the parent never comes and comforts them they never quite learn like how to control their physical bodies and their physical impulses. And um, they, you know, they never have a good sense of like, this is touch feel. And I was sitting there like, Oh, that's not really necessarily relevant to this, except I think I realized then it is. There's this whole thread in there that miles kind of like, he never really develops sight. So there's this concept of witch marks of basically souls that, have the way I read it was they're bonded to his forehead, um, like <laughs> literally glowing witch marks um, on his forehead that he like he has to have someone teach him. Ironically, Tristan, who's both the lover and in some ways the weird parallel father figure, um, but he has to have Tristan come in and actually teach him how to see this and develop this site so that he can recognize other magic users who are quite easily recognizing him through the entire book. So. Um, that was kind of a big mess of stream of consciousness, brain dump, but just the trauma of like a dad who like was good to one child because she was useful to him, was terrible to the other child or only good insofar as making sure that he would be useful for the child that he actually wanted. You know, the mm -hmm. mother who bonded herself, like who tried to break free and then wind up, wound up bound, uh, bonding herself to her son, um, you know, yeah. that, that was the moment that like that lost soul was kind of the moment that I lost it a little bit at the end of the book, but just oh. how oh. the trauma just shaped his entire experience. Absolutely. Well, and I want to say something about grace and that dynamic, like you just can't say that she has a good relationship with her father because Unfortunately, with abusers, you just don't have good relationships. Mm -hmm. You have different types of children. Like, mm -hmm. um, as someone who had a sibling with a very controlling father, um, I was I was the grace. I was the extremely good child who would not mess up anything. And it wasn't because I thought I had a, like it wasn't because I ha thought I had a good relationship necessarily so much as it was a survival mechanism mm -hmm. it it's it was a um so whereas my brother's reaction was to um kind of act out and go more rebellious mine was to try and do everything right so that i never had to suffer the consequences mm -hmm. like i was your model teenager and I'm not exaggerating that at all. Like 
I was a perfect kid in every sense of the word as far as like didn't drink, smoke, do anything, like always came home on time. Like to a lot of people, I would look what Grace looks like. And it again, it wasn't because I was treated better. It was because I reacted differently and was trying and my survival instincts were different. And so like with that thinking, like, and I can see it with her reasoning as well. It's a, oh, don't, don't push back too much because if you push back too much, it causes pain. So if you just kind of, what you do is you kind of subtly push the thing and like, it's, it's almost like a subtle, like you go for the subtle manipulations, the subtle hints, the kind of easing into it. That's like, that is your approach. And, and you think that like you can change it that way, but you don't want to push it because you don't want to make everything worse. And like one of the hard things is that like having worked through a lot of this and my relationship with my brother is not the best. And part of that is because I don't think he feels like he can trust me. Mm. And that's kind of fair because I would accidentally, like there were times where I didn't really, it wasn't that I was tattling on him or anything. It was that I didn't know what he told my parents. And so what I knew and what he told them differed and I'd make, I'd slip. Mm. And so it would let out, like it would get him in trouble because, um, because you contradicted him. Exactly. And I would do it without even knowing like, and so eventually he just stopped keeping me in the loop, which I completely don't hold against him because it makes, it makes sense in the survival scenario. Like, so I guess it's it's one of those things where I feel sorry for Grace and Miles equally mm-hmm. because both of them, like even though it looks like Grace has a better life, it's only very surface. Like she is I think, just as much of a victim. I think that's why McPolk um, investigates Grace in the second book in the series. Um, so the series, the books in these series don't actually follow Miles's story throughout. The trilogy has a different central character each book, and Grace is the central character of the second book. Um, and so I think, I think uh, Polk is trying. I think I don't know. I haven't read them, so I could be completely wrong. But I, I would hope that Polk is trying to give us um, a little bit more insight into those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Grace is for the second one and Robin Yay. is the third one. Which <laughs> yes. Madeline's like, so excited more about the magic nurse. I want magic to know nurses. about that. During that <laughs> reveal, I was like, yes. <laughs> I was so excited so, about that. Um, yeah, absolutely. It was wonderful. Um, but I think so, what, yeah. what Katie was saying and based on what you said, Katie, I can absolutely see that um, thinking about Grace's actions. Mm-hmm. Like when she mm-hmm. first sees Miles, she's really excited to see him because she thought her brother was dead, but then mm-hmm. uh, he makes her swear. Well, she, he doesn't make her, but she swears like, I'm not going to make you 
I'm not going to bond you without your consent. Uh, and then spends the entire rest of the book basically until she bonds him, trying to get him to agree to have yeah. her well, bond him. And the thing is, but she doesn't go about it in like a sleazy way. Like it, it's more like a, like I want to reestablish my connection with my brother kind of thing. And well, it is that, but then like, she's bringing him nice lunches. She's like, oh, I yeah. want to get oh, yeah. you better clothes. And don't you want a better place to live? Oh, for and sure. yeah. I'm never going to tell a father that you're still here. And which is why <laughs> well, I'm speculating is, that like, uh, Grace was actually probably the healthy figure in his life as a child is like, she remembered his favorite food and stuff. I will say, yeah, I probably did like, Calling it a good relationship with her father was probably not the right word. I w- it's probably more appropriately a stronger relationship um, with the father. Um, uh, a- I mean, the thi- it's a, so- sort of it still in exists. that. In, yeah, in, well, in that she like, has some level of trust. She has more tr- level of trust in him than Miles does. Like the whole at the yes. end when she like she just outright tells him like their father where they're going because she still trusts him and thinks that he's one of the good guys and discover like realizes very quickly oh shoot no i'm completely wrong um but that's where it's like i don't yeah good is not the right word for that um certainly better than miles um it's strong but But not healthy might be the way of putting it you also got to understand that she was there that entire time. So where he got out mm-hmm. and was able to kind of develop his own way of thinking and kind of have experiences outside of that bubble, she was still in there and she was then the sole focus of her father. Like oh, true. she didn't have a buffer of another sibling to do that. And from experience, you do kind of, like it's not a trust it's almost like a it's an instinct of um how do i like it's really hard to explain but like i understand like the feeling like i know the feeling of almost feeling it's necessary and that you don't have a choice but to tell like that he's gonna find out anyway and there's no literally like Honestly, this was my thought when I was younger was there was literally no point in keeping secrets because dad would find out anyway. Mm-hmm. Like there was mm-hmm. nothing I could hide. There was nothing I could do. He would find out. And if he doesn't find out from me, it's going to be a hundred times worse. So it's it was not that like that I wanted to just blurt out everything that we were doing kind of thing. But it was kind of like maybe if I tell him up front, it won't be bad and maybe he'll still let us do it and maybe it'll all work out. Like it, it's almost that it's, it, I mean, it's from extreme gaslighting. And I mean, I had the, it was, it was that feeling of your every move is watched. It's almost the feeling that they can read your mind, mm-hmm. like that no matter what you think or do, or say like it's gonna come back and they're gonna know and it's you're gonna pay the consequences and the consequences are just they suck. <laughs> like and, and that, I was gonna say that that um, mindset would be reinforced by the fact that even though Miles thought he was running away and that his dad didn't know where he was, 
Is he that did who he was? exactly, you know, exactly, and that, thing. and that is, and that's not, like, and that's also the the thing is like you can't. Sometimes they say things like, "Oh, you know, I have eyes everywhere." And the thing is, you don't actually know if they do or not. And so you have to act like they do because... Well, even um, throughout, like, kind of solving the mystery of the book, uh, Miles is like, who do I know in the magical world that could be responsible for this? Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it Grace? Is it Dad? Is it Sir Percy? Like, uh, and then tries to narrow it down from there. But he's... And we'll talk more about Miles' personal... Uh, issues later on but like he's super paranoid mm-hmm. he's like i can't you, it makes i can't i have paranoid. to ride my bike so i can like avoid people who are rich enough to ride in carriages mm-hmm. i can't go in nice areas of town anyway i'm getting off we'll talk about that in a minute <laughs> but like yeah, yeah no it's it's a it's a definite um i don't know it was it's it was a lot. I didn't even unpack. I think I just glazed over all of it because <laughs> I didn't want to interface with any of it, but I feel it. Um, well, I thank you, Katie, for, for sharing um, your perspective because I, I think it was valuable. I think it definitely redeems Grace as a character a bit. Mm-hmm. It makes me more excited to read Storm Song. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and that's so. also part of the devastation of the last scene was just her, was that realization. Like her devastation was the start like of the really, really painful, like it was awful to see it, but then just the fact her realization and that her devastation that she betrayed her brother, even though she didn't mean to like Mm -hmm. that. I was just like, no, (laughs) that was, that was when I started the proverbial uh, waterworks kind of thing. (laughs) And it just kept going. And I was just like, Oh, so much. (laughs) But and like and th- that was the other thing. Like also showed her heart as far as the fact that she stepped in with him to mm-hmm. help because and unbonded like, him first. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Because like, like, she was like, oh. I was so wrong, and I was so I just didn't understand any of like, and that revelation like, it's a painful revelation. <laughs> Speaking from experience and just being like, crap. I did not mean to do that, but that really caused a lot of pain and a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. And how am I going to like, how am I going to make up for this? They're going to hate me forever. That's mm-hmm. kind of the feeling. <laughs> um, so in addition to awful family relationships, <laughs> uh, we see this a little bit between um, Miles's mom and dad in Miles's um Kind of flashbacks between their brief interaction, which is basically just like the scene where Miles' dad kills Miles' mom. Um, the only flashback of her that we get. <laughs> uh, but uh, romantic relationships among the nobility, uh, at least with what we get within this um, book, uh, on the f- like on the public facing, um, it seems like a lot of the like who people are married to is for political reasons generally, but uh, like most nobility, they tend to carry on with whoever they like uh, Mm -hmm. in private. Um, And sometimes to the point of they're going to be abusing their uh, secondaries um, in that as well. Well, there was a comment about um, 
sometimes they have two wives kind of thing. And the official one and then their secondary. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, hmm. Yep. Well, and what was interesting is just the, I mean, part of it with the focusing on breeding more powerful ones. So it's like they don't condemn the same sex relationships, but it's seen as like immature and that uh, people are supposed to like grow up and get married kind of thing because mm-hmm. then they can have kids. Um, it's it's not like a moral wrong, just a societal wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was getting kind Um, of like ancient Greek vibes out of that of, you know, yeah, probably like the younger kids are going to just go out and do that. But, you know, you have to like carry on the species or whatever. Yes. I I mean, it it is. And we see that mirrored in the fifth season with, um, been off, Mm -hmm. uh, humanist leadership right mm-hmm. um okay. they they they're transgender um and yet they their parent their leadership cast so they have to like navigate that as well and it's it's very much a, a leadership power thing heirs we need heirs we need people like and that's grace's struggle with her dad too is like she needs to uphold the family legacy because she needs to inherit whatever the like role that he has within the magic system. Um, and to do that, she needs to make the right marriage and Mm -hmm. miles needs to make the right marriage. And then they need to have the right children Mm -hmm. to continue on the power, right. In order to be able to continue on this legacy. Um, Well, and I mean, like she had to give up her, her childhood love because he was a secondary. He wasn't, he wasn't a, a primary. Right. So he wasn't a good match. Um, no matter how much she loved him or, you know, what kind of person he was, it didn't, it didn't matter. And so she was engaged to someone that you kind of get the feeling it was like, there's not really any love between them. It was definitely a political match. And then you find out that she knew about her fiance's that he, he had a male lover as well. And so you, you definitely... He breaks up with her when she loses the 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 power. Like she's not yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So he, well, they I, end their relationship when she loses her seat of power. So well, and my my point was like she's fully aware of this, so it's not like she's going in being like, "Oh, I'm his love. Like I love him. We're we're you know mm-hmm. in this for partnering with each other thing." Like it was even in her mind, she knew it was a business transaction kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. when he gives her back the ring, like you can see she's a little sad, but it's not like the devastation of, um, if someone you loved and had gotten engaged to had suddenly broken off the engagement, it was kind of more of a, resi- more annoyance. yeah, a resignation <laughs> kind of thing. Like, a okay. Yeah. I kind of saw this coming. Yeah. Well, it was sorry you're leaving the company, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. That really, that's, how, that's the vibe I got. I was like, oh, you're no oh, longer with sure. us. Yeah, you're, you're quitting the company. Okay. Um, yeah. And, you know, I just, Ty, I had Tywin Lannister um, vibes from their dad. It was very yeah. um, sees all, mm-hmm. knows all, controlling all, trying to maintain this seat of power without being the focal point um, mm-hmm. of the seat of power and making sure that 
the you know the family legacy is all that matters. What they want, what the you know from their lives, from mm-hmm. their children, etc. That that doesn't matter. Yep, that's mm-hmm. that's a good comparison. Mm. I really did yeah. like the scene where um, Grace's fiance breaks up with her though, because he gives her her grandfather's engagement ring that she had mm-hmm. given him, which I think <laughs> is just one more way that um, Mixpol uh, puts in like the egalitarianness of the mm-hmm. society. It's not completely like a hundred percent 50, 50. I, I don't think, but it's because of the, the period that it's set in. But I think it is um, even m- much more so than, than a lot of us see today. Yeah. Uh, pretty egalitarian. A lot of women are in positions of power. Um, a lot of men are okay being uh, grocers and, and running errands and uh, being a gardener around the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very small thing to put in your story, uh, but I think it t- goes a long way to tell a, a much bigger picture. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that part. Like the, that whole conception of the world. Mm-hmm. And the whole reason why, I mean, you would expect the reason for Grace not to inherit her father's position is that she's a woman, mm-hmm. but it's not that she's a woman. It's just they just don't think she's she's good enough for the position, or they're like done with. She well, can't control her. She can't control her brother. Yeah, it's really <laughs> weird. So she's, yeah, she's not strong enough. It's not that she's a woman. It's just that she's not strong enough, and because she can't control her brother. Well, um, and I think specifically, it's that she had not. She did not have a secondary. Like all the others had a secondary. So I don't think they doubted her power as far as like her raw magical power. It was more the, the will um, thing. she wasn't willing. Yeah. Yeah. It was the, you're too like, you're too soft. You're not, yeah. yeah you you're not controlling your brother and you haven't bound a secondary. And so obviously well, if you can't, if you can't do this small thing that everybody knows you're supposed to do, like, are you really fit to lead everybody else? Who's already bound their secondary? Like, <laughs> Kind of. And she she had the votes until she barely. tried to com- barely <laughs> until she tried to convince them all that some that that their entire nation was under direct threat from mm-hmm. the possession spell of the opposing force that they had just gone and decimated mm-hmm. in order to imperialize their souls so they could have more electricity. <laughs> and, which is <laughs> That's not a weird. commentary. <laughs> um, she she would have had it. And then she tried to she tried to save their country, and they were like, mm-hmm. "Nah, I don't believe well, you." Yeah, part you, you of it try is to save the country after you have the power, like, <laughs> you know, like Daddy, I would D did not teach her that properly. Yeah, and and part of it is, uh, I mean, I think the way that Ed Miles talks about this, he's like, "I should, I shouldn't have been the one to say it. I should have made Grace say it because they would have listened to her. Nobody cares about me. I'm a secondary, and even worse." I'm the secondary that ran away. I inspired all these other secondaries to run away. This one secondary killed herself. Uh, you know, Mr. Uh, whatever, Lord Percy's daughter or, I don't know, relation killed herself because she would rather die than, come uh, than, than come back and be a battery. Mm. So. Yeah. And they're like, they, not only am I a secondary, but I'm, I'm the, the person that they least want to hear. Tell them <laughs> yes, what to I do. Am the least <laughs> yeah. like secondary in the entire society. And here I am being like, you need to do this and you need to do that. Yeah. I mean, and it's fair. It's a fair commentary. 
Like, I mean, if it, you're gonna you're gonna play those if you're gonna play that power game, you got to play the power game. Essentially, Grace went too uh, too extreme too quickly. Like that's yes. that was her downfall. Even though she was, went barely extreme at all. Exactly. <laughs> well, so well, and and well, the whole, too the whole extreme plot. is still relative to what like the, where uh, they are. <laughs> like and the whole plot hinged on secondary powers, right? They had to admit mm-hmm. that they had a secondary power yep. in order to be mm-hmm. able to to see the issue that they were talking about, and which is super shameful. How dare they? Right? <laughs> because there's really only one power that matters because they need to control the weather because their rock in the middle of the ocean would be inhabitable if they didn't control the weather. So. I just thought they should have found another rock, but that <laughs> that's what point. I was thinking. I was like, <laughs> why? Why like, would you? If why you would you control, live here? <laughs> if you can control this weather, how can you not just find somewhere else to go? Like, that's that what I was to me. Kill all the other people so that their souls can funnel your your your, <laughs> your electricity. electricity. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but you're not just going to go live in that land. You're just going to kill them all and then stay here because I mean it it is the biggest power trip I've ever heard in my life. Like <laughs> right. honestly, not only are we going to subjugate all the magic users in our nation, not we're going to subjugate nature right and the afterlife. Yes. <laughs> to make our life better. <laughs> which which yeah, was the most inefficient way of getting electricity. Exactly. Um, like, you know, like I mean, yeah, power. They, li- they can literally call lightning from the sky. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but, but that literally. would require that the gentry have an occupation, and mm. well, and As also spending like, all and of their energy to sing in winter is not an occupation enough. <laughs> right. It does give them a a plot reason to stay in town for the season. No, mm-hmm. I did. I did appreciate that. Oh, I did. Too. I never understood that reading like, uh, you know, Austin and stuff like, wh- why would you be in town? What, anyway, <laughs> um, to move uh, to move forward, if y'all are OK, um, for our next point, uh, the book deals really heavily with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. um, as we currently call it. Um, it is called battle fatigue um, in the book. Um I didn't get to do research on what um, in our timeline uh, we called it in the Edwardian era. Um, you've probably heard the term shell shocked. I know that we use that after World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Miles also talks about uh, melancholy, uh, which is kind of uh, equivalent to depression. Um, and um, I think he says excessive stress disorder, um, but, but like uh, mm-hmm. anxiety um, he talks about um, also as well. Um, there's, that's what Miles does for a living. He's a psychiatrist, um, which is so cool mm-hmm. um, because uh, he even talks to Tristan about this. And Tristan's like, most people roll their eyes when they hear about psychiatry. Like most people don't even accept that it's an actual uh, field of medicine. Um, and here you are, you went from being a surgeon um, to now practicing this Uh why did that happen? And uh, Miles was incredibly traumatized as a surgeon at the hands of the Laniri. Um, the opposing force knew that he could do medicine and magic as well. Yeah, knew that. Thank you. The magic he medicine. Could do magic medicine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, said we need to get information from all of your soldiers, and we're going to torture them and make you heal them back up every single time. Um, uh, awful. Awful, 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 awful thing. 
mm-hmm. um, that Miles went through. Um, and that affected him. I'm really surprised that he wasn't more um, dysfunctional. Well, yes, uh, <laughs> yeah. but more awkward by the presence of Laniri parading right in front of his hospital. Yeah. Um, and then, um, but I'm, I'm amazed that he was able to still do any kind of medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am encouraged in, uh, as a healthcare provider that he decided I'm going to try and fix people who are like me, who feel like mm-hmm. they can't function, um, because of stuff that's happened to them. Well, and it's that direct line from the he- trauma thing again of like, mm-hmm. I'm broken. I want to fix other people who are broken. So kind of the positive, sometimes it's more of the negative aspects of like, you know, he could have gone to trying to hurt people like he had been hurt, but yeah. And then he walks in on one of his patients having killed Mm. another one of his patients and their, and his spouse, his wife, Mm -hmm. because he was possessed. Like, yeah. That's like one of the big mysteries of the show of the of the show of the book <laughs> uh, is like he sees this he sees this disease magical disease that he doesn't realize is magical because he sees all diseases in a magical way um, in certain soldiers that are experiencing battle fatigue a specific kind of battle fatigue um, and he's not sure what about what's going on right and so he sees that in this one guy and he thinks he heals it and then he doesn't like I don't understand how that didn't have a bigger impact on him in terms of like the way he reacted to it. Cause it felt like it wasn't very, it didn't really phase him very much. I don't think he had a huge reaction to the idea that he had tried to save this person and he failed. Well, I, I think like. it was because he wasn't sure if he had, like he was already suspicious cause he had only shrunk it into a ball. It was still right. there. It was just contained. Mm-hmm. So I think he was still, he didn't know enough about it. Like the, Kind of, because he even was like, oh, Gerald, you know, I still want to see you. I, You still need to come in. I still want to do checkups with you. Because I think he was yeah. a little suspicious about whether or not it would hold. Um, Gerald kept pushing it off. Like, no, Doc, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. yeah. Well, even, and even when he discharged, um, there's two Geralds, old, old, old Gerald, Gerald and young Gerald. Yeah. That's <laughs> what they called themselves as well. <laughs> um, when he discharged old Gerald, he said, when he looked at him, he could see that it had already like extended back along his spinal cord from Mm -hmm. as small as he had folded it earlier, that it was already coming back. And he really wanted there to be a physical, um, a physical thing that he could pinpoint on because he wanted, he knew this is the problem. He knew like all of these, all of these men that come back from war uh, that we're seeing in our hospital a bunch of them have this same disease. I can see it. There must be a physical component because he can see a, a physical components of all diseases. Uh, and so, but then he has to try and prove it for the muggles. Basically he has to try <laughs> and find a way to say like, okay, uh, this is my proof. And this is our treatment plan. Um, in particular, because throughout the book, at regular intervals, there's another, like, every day there's a new newspaper that says mm-hmm. there's another big murder scene. Some veteran has come home and killed his entire family and then themselves. Um, and throughout the book, Miles becomes more and more convinced this is this is related, this is the same thing. And he's correct. Um, I'm not sure how I feel 
to be completely honest, about this being explained away as a possession. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because while that is true Mm -hmm. in the world of the book, we see violence uh, enacted by people who have been through awful trauma in our world. And we can't explain it away as possession. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to deal with the reality that things have happened to them that alter the way that they experience reality Mm -hmm. um, and the way that they handle stress in their life. Um, And I'm a little bit, I'm hopeful that in the second book, that it's not just like a yay, we peeled all these possessed souls out of these bodies and now they're 100% cured because it feels like magic saves the day. And while that's a great thing to hope for, I, that's, that's, uh, I under, it's, it's almost like a carpe, uh, not, uh, deus ex machina. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It really is. Um, and, but I also yeah. kind of see like, because they specifically say that they had to kill a Lenari up close to do it. Like with their that hands was, or with the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it was specifically those ones. So, um, like, I definitely agree with, I hope this isn't just like a, oh, the soldiers are all fine now. Um, but at the same time, the symbolism is really interesting because, um, you know, like, there it is a lo- like a thing to be said with, like, when you kill someone in that way, like, having their, that weight on you, like that, like, not quite possessed, but like, um, it's not necessarily a possession of them, but like having something added that kind of, mm. again, I, yeah. changes and like makes you a different person. Oh, yeah. um, the added trauma of literally feeling that person's life. Exactly. And so it was, the, and yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of like the imagery of, like in that way, like the fact that they revealed that that was how they killed two, like it was those specific soldiers. That's why not all of them had it. Mm. Um, and, like, I understand why they had to do a mass one, but I kind of liked when he peeled off the first one because it was almost kind of like it was that kind of um, felt almost symbolic of him finding the cure, like a, like a therapist, like digging in and like finding that that trauma, finding that root pain and like peeling it out like uh scraping it away and like helping the person heal like mm-hmm. that that was kind of like it was just especially with the peeling imagery like that was just a very i was like that's kind that's kind of cool but then they had to do it with everybody and i was like well yeah okay <laughs> and i will say that um not every soldier that uh, we see in the book that experiences battle fatigue uh, has this hidden mm-hmm. killer effect that Miles finds. Um, young Gerald um, suffers from what we would consider a much more traditional form of PTSD. He mm-hmm. has nightmares in the middle of the night um, and after a period of time in the hospital uh, with their standard recovery, um, which is limited to what they had in Edwardian times, um, <laughs> mesmerism and sleeping tonics, Uh but he is able to recover to a point where Miles feels like he's safe to um, be discharged from the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so this isn't the only th- thing that we see um, with PTSD, but um, 
I'm I am hopeful that there's more about it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Agreed. A little bit about our our fantastic world of Eland um, that we experience in the book. Um, It's it's kind of your your standard wink wink not England but definitely <laughs> England. Um, we've talked a lot and little bits about the weather uh, so far, and it's it still weirds me out that that's the thing that they value the most. And I'm really hopeful. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm really hopeful within the next book, though, because it looks like from the description of of uh, the next book that. Um, Winter is really difficult <laughs> from from the description of the next book. And so I'm hopeful that we see a little bit more reason of why they well, care about Stormseeker so much. When the fey folk decide to show themselves and rage war on your country in the middle of the harshest <laughs> season, it's going to be a difficult time. <laughs> well, and um, they've messed with it for so long. Like that was part oh, of the point was true. that was that they had been messing with the the weather for so long that they, if they had, if they stopped now, it was really going to be bad. Plus like apparently in their cycle, it was already slated to be a really bad storm year, which was part of the pressure that grace was under Mm -hmm. was because she really had to do this because if not, it was going to be like a, a uh, I can't remember what they called it, but it was like, not just a normal winter. It was going to be a bad, bad winter. Like a stormy or something. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Which, which goes to show like she had the ability. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, and she is also saying that like Sir Percy is not up to the task. Like she knows. <laughs> she knows. H- HBIC right here walking in. <laughs> like I'm going to slay this. I just need you to trust me. And they're like, nah. um, and then it starts leading and then it starts leading and she's like well okay then (laughs) i mean i but i i honestly so i've I've been reflecting on so like i'm a physics teacher hello so as i've been reflecting on the use of human souls for power energy energy yes right magic like magic yeah um the exploitation of magical magic and human souls in order to power convenience. Um, what an amazing picture for colonialism, first of all, which I think Mix Polk is very, very, uh, very much saying, but also the effects of what we are doing to our world when we prioritize convenience and, and usability over healthy options, mm-hmm. like that are healthy and sustainable for the environment as a whole, for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Not just us. Um, yep. Not yeah. just us. Because it's one of the things like, you know, we talk about this, like Katie and I are both MKs, right? So we have, we've spent significant amount of time outside of the United States. Mm-hmm. And so the um, culture in the, in the world throughout, like throughout the world is very different with how they view uh, sustainability and, mm-hmm. and, and like being responsible with, of a variety of things um, that is different than in our country and, and in um, colonial esque countries. Um, I mean, I mean, I honestly, we are still a technically an empire because we still technically have territories that are still mm-hmm. being taxed without representation. 
it's I mean, it's nothing not technical fine. about it. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it is it is happening. Um, Hello, Guam. Like, Hello, so Puerto Rico. Yeah, Guam. Well, speaking of Guam, like Asia Filipac is Filipiac. I don't even. I'm, I feel like I'm. I, I always forget the last name. Sorry, Asia. I don't know if she'll hear this. She but, married into um, We uh, like Stephanie, my wife, and I have gotten really close to Asia and Luke just over Twitch and getting to know them. And we brought up Guam and the territory status of Guam to her and just listening to her talk about how much Guam gives to our country in terms of soldiers, in terms of res- and like everything, their patriot, their patriotism, they're like, just like they give so much of themselves yet they get almost nothing in return. Um, and we see that kind of mirrored in how the upper class is using um, the witches, mm-hmm. right? Which who's gonna who's not to say that some of the witches in the asylums aren't better storm singers than the actual noble class? It yeah. could be a better use uh, <laughs> within the within the voice uh, as yeah. voices. Um, and the then circle. also they don't have money in the circle. Fun. Yes, <laughs> I mean yes, <laughs> you're right. How dare I? Um, no, and so like first of all, yes, there's that. Second of all, like. They're only like, how do we, how do we even like deal with the fact that like people aren't being allowed to go into the afterlife? Yeah. Make a better, uh, make a better place. Like, and yes, this is to the point, to the point where the angels don't even think anybody is alive in this land. I guess everyone went extinct. Yes. Yeah, let's go check it out. We're gonna send somebody to check yes. out. We think all y'all the angels send Tristan to figure out where all the dead people are because do people still live here? Like, where are all the souls? Because and then uh, Tristan was like, "They're people. alive. Why are you guys a st-? like?" He literally is like, "Why are you guys living?" <laughs> And Miles well, no, is like, what? It's, it's only because Eland went and decided to conquer Lemire. And so all of the Lemurians exactly. decided to disappear because the Lemuri decided to, or the Lemurians decided to possess the Elanders <laughs> with their souls instead of go on to the afterlife. Welcome. But they but were, like, they were setting the up power stations in Lanier as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were. Yeah. They're starting to, they're starting <laughs> that to. That was the whole point spread. of starting the war. Yeah. They're starting to <sighs> spread because they need more power. And it's just like, to the point where the angels are coming out of the afterlife or out of the guardians of the afterlife and being like, where are all the people going? (laughs) (laughs) Real quiet. It's just like, Oh my gosh. Like what is like, it's such a powerful image. And I, I really hope that, that they um, expand on it. Um, in the final two books, I want to read Robin's story because she, she is a character that we did not get much screen time for this book. But everything we did was amazing. It's yeah, so exactly. true. She's just like, I want to read all about her and I want to know what's going on. Um, and just because because Miles in his PTSD trying to hide from higher higher society views her as an ally. And that mm-hmm. I think speaks mostly to most to her character. That's the big key point that we get about her. And that makes me so excited to see what Mix Polk gives us about her. Mm-hmm. And so anyway. I will, I can't find these books from my local library, but knowing that my wife loves this, which Mark, chances are we will buy um, <laughs> Storm Song and uh, Robin's book, whose title I can't remember. Um, so anyway. I've already got the second one because I was like, I need, I need more of this world, please and thank you. <laughs> so if you like this book, uh, what else should you read besides the rest of the series? Because I'm <laughs> chomping at the bit to read that. Um, 
Ghost Talkers is my first recommendation by Mary Robinette Cool. Uh, this is a book uh, that also takes place in Edwardian England, in actual Edwardian England, um, although technically not England, but it's post or at the end of uh, World War I. Um, and these are a group of people uh, who, um, with the official blessing of the British government, set up um, circles as mediums to talk to uh, dead soldiers uh, right before they pass through the gate to the afterlife um, to get information from them about what's going on in the battlefield um, to pass uh, secrets um, along to get uh, secure information to help support uh, their troops. Um, And it also has uh, some espionage in it going on. If you like world war one and magic, this is a great, a great book for you. Um, and if you haven't read anything by Mary Robinette Cole, please do yourself a favor and read something. She does excellent work, excellent period work as well. Um, the Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter by Theodora Goss. Katie recommended this to me. Um, this is not uh, Edwardian. It is what era is this, Katie? Um, uh, it's it's the more the Romantic period. It's um, yeah. uh. It, I mean, it literally is a t- different take on Jekyll and Hyde, and um, she so it's actually more Victorian, isn't it? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's like a mixture because <laughs> um, they they use a variety of Victorian. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I would say probably yeah, probably Victorian, but it's it's much more along the lines of. Uh, this is a mystery romp around London. Um, This is a ton of powerful uh, women that use uh, not necessarily magic, but um, powers. Yeah. Powers. Uh, So a lot of the women that were the victims of um, the, the penny dreadful uh, monster stories, Mm -hmm. which are like the the Gothic horror that, that we're familiar with um, all, all exist in this book. Um, It's really interesting. Um, the Greta Helsing, excuse me, the Dr. Greta Helsing series by Vivian Shaw uh, is, uh, if you like magic healthcare providers, like I do, <laughs> um, that is a modern day. <laughs> I'm really sorry, Super you guys. Nice How could I not? No, it's, 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 it's not really this. cool. It's, it's wonderful, um, though. This is uh, so. This is a modern day telling, but it takes place in London. Um, and Helsing uh, are already hooked. <laughs> yeah, and and the books in the series. Um, kind of do a modern re-examination of uh, a lot of the old uh, gothic horror stories. Mm. So the first one looks at like a really, really old vampire story, older than um, like your traditional Bram Stoker Dracula. Uh, The second one looks at um, Phantom of the Opera, the book. Um, I haven't read the third one. I don't know um, what that one's about, but if you like magic gothic. medicine and mm-hmm. gothic London, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa All Cole gothic books. Uh, is a romance author who writes um, historical and modern and uh, science fiction uh, romance. Um, she was the one uh, in the interview that uh, Lisa was talking about earlier that I shared with our uh, book club group. Um 
very popular. Uh, she writes a lot of romance that's between uh, mixed race couples. Um, between uh, she, even in one of her romance books, she has a woman in a wheelchair, which is like never seen <laughs> in romance. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, really interested in including everyone um, mm. in her books and not just saying we're going to write about the pretty people, quote unquote. Um, and then I'll throw in um, some works by Charlie Holmberg. She's an author th- with Amazon. Um, the Paper Magician series is Edwardian, Victorian-esque London, pseudo-London, um, where magic users have a material that they are bonded to, that they're able to shape with their spells. Um, so as you can imagine, the main character is bonded to paper. And it also has a romance in it. So it's very much like this um, young woman and falls in love with her tutor. Super cliche, but it's wonderful. I lived for it. The series <laughs> was great. There's mystery. I, I don't know. It was great. And then her more recent duology, Spellbreaker, also set in Edwardian England, also is magic, um, has to do more so with class and um, the use of magic among the classes. And it's a little bit more socially aware and socially conscious. Um, I'd recommend both of those series. They're both in Kindle Unlimited. Um, so if you have those, you should be able to pick that up. Um and um, be able to at least read a couple of them in there. Um, and I think the Paper Magician series actually has a modern day store, short story that's attached to it or a novella um, that has to deal with plastic. So that was really cool too. Um, so I would I would definitely suggest those. Um, and one more, it's called the, uh, so it's a series, but the first book is The Darker, uh, Darker Shade of Magic um, by V.E. Schwab. Oh, so uh, good. Yeah, the magic system is really interesting and a lot it's interesting also because there's multiple Londons. It's like hmm. interdimensional mixed with magic and espionage and power plays. So, and it is a series. Uh, I can't off the top of my head remember the other books, but It's the- um A Gathering of Shadows is book 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and a conjuring of light is book three. It's the shades of magic published by Tor. Yes. Um, so there you go. John helps. <laughs> I, lo- I love those books. It's fine. I, I really thank like thank them you too. for thank you for reminding me. I actually want to finish the series. <laughs> so. Any other book recommendations? All right. Who are you, lovely people, and where can we find you on the internet? Well, again, I'm Katie Tejador, and you can find me on Twitter at K-R-R Tejador, which is T-E-J-E-D-O-R. Um, and I am John Verde. You can find me on Twitter at jcamp underscore over, O-V-E-R underscore day, D-A-Y. Or you can find me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Alenshin, A-L-L-E-N-T-I-O-N. Come join my chat and talk to me about all the nerdy things because I want to talk to you. And request Phantasmor. Phantasmagoria. Phasmophobia. Request me to play Phasmophobia so that Katie can hop in and we can have fun hunting ghosts. And John can scream. Yes, because <laughs> they do they do like to make me scream and jump. So uh, and that segues into me. I am Matt Williams. AKA Rockin' Mr. Magic on Twitter. That's underscore Rockin' minus to G M R for Mr. M A G I C. 
And I'm Lisa Eldred. You can find me on Twitter at First Crusader. Um, you can also find me on my website at wasabijane.com. She writes really good sonnets. You should definitely go check them out if you haven't. Uh, I'm Madeline Turnipseed. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at mad underscore seed. Um, thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, next, me th- mm. next month, we are going to be talking about It Began With The Lie by Please. Michelle Parisa Wasik. Uh, this is Katie's suggestion, so I'm really excited. <laughs> uh, We're finally getting is- into the horror. <laughs> <laughs> the thriller. Yeah, well, thriller, kind of. yes. yes. <laughs> We'd love We'd love for you all to join us then as well. Uh, If you have thoughts on the book that we are discussing that we might read on air or books that you'd like to suggest for us to read, drop me a link at madeline at lovethynerd.com. Be sure to check out all the podcasts in the Love Thy Nerd podcast network and also on LTN radio. We have Polist, Humans of Gaming, Free Play, Church Nerds, and Two Words. So there is a ton for you to be checking out there. Uh, also be sure to connect with us on your all your social media platforms. Just search Love Thy Nerd or find links on our website, lovethynerd.com. Thanks for listening. This has been the LTN Book Club. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club.